Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is filmmaker Trevor Juris, whose 2015 feature The Interior just became available on a number of streaming services and Blu-ray and DVD. Starring Patrick McFadden as a white-collar salaryman who strikes out for the wilds of British Columbia after some bad news, it's a strange combination of workplace comedy and wilderness thriller, and it goes somewhere pretty compelling. You should check it out. Trevor picked Grizzly Man, Werner Herzog's 2005 documentary about the life and death of Timothy Treadwell, a self-styled environmentalist committed to raising awareness of Alaska's grizzly bears, spending 13 summers with them in Katmai National Park. In the summer of 2003, Treadwell and his girlfriend Amy Huguenar were mauled to death by one of the bears— Only their camcorder footage survived, eventually finding its way to Herzog, who used it as the basis for his investigation into Treadwell's life, as filtered through his own particular perspective. This is someone else's movie. Grizzly Man, it's a film I find myself thinking about it all the time. Um, Many of Herzog's films I I find myself thinking about, especially his documentaries. And uh, I identify with the the lead character, and and in in my film, I think the lead character would identify with with Timothy Treadwell. Um, It's become kind of a a reference point for me if I'm ever wanting to get away or or get into into nature and away from civilization, if I'm ever just having one of those dark days where I want to get away from everyone. I always think of Grizzly Man, number one, because... Um, I admire him in some ways, Timothy Treadwell, but number two, it's also a, a cautionary tale. I was going to say, yeah, when you say you think of it during a dark day, do you think of it as, it could be worse, I could be Timothy Treadwell, or I could get away and escape and not be Timothy Treadwell? I think of it as, be careful, because you don't want to be Timothy Treadwell. Mm. You don't want to go that far. Um, getting away for a little while, um, but you don't want to... You don't want to... I hate civilization so much that you become openly hostile to it and put yourself in a situation where something like that is going to happen to you. Yeah. It's it's one of those docs where I was trying to figure this out before you, you got here because I'm trying to figure out how I feel about it. Not the documentary. I know how I feel about the documentary. I mm. just... I'm still kind of trying to figure out how I feel about Treadwell. Yeah. Even now, like 10 years later... Um, I want to be sympathetic mm-hmm. to him, but he's so clearly unqualified for what he's doing. I mean, this is, and I, that totally explains why Herzog would be fascinated by him too, mm-hmm. because he is the kind of person who he'd always been making movies about. He's every Kinski character, yeah, <laughs> just just not as shouty, yeah. Um, and in fact, he's sort of more. He's almost the bigger dreamer in a way because he really does believe that his goodness will triumph. Like his sympathy for these creatures will triumph over any natural instinct they might have. Yeah. And thankfully, because of the structure of the film, it's doomed from the start. We know it's not going to work. And we know something truly horrible is coming. Mm -hmm. But somehow, I, I still can't articulate it. Somehow, I don't want him to die even though... I know he's going to, and he kind of deserves it, in yeah. my mind. His girlfriend doesn't, and that's awful. Like, mm-hmm. It's just the fact that he dragged someone else along with him. But there's that weird romanticism that 
us city folk have, I guess. Uh, the same thing with Pens Into the Wild, which came out about a year earlier, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're about people who believe that they're following their dream, and they kind of are, except that the dream is going to can only take them somewhere very bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wonder why. Uh, um, do, do you think it's so bad? I mean, of course, his girlfriend. Uh, I, I agree with you, but uh, mm-hmm. do you think it's so bad that he put himself in harm's way and got himself eaten? Yeah, he died. I mean, you can right. He died doing what he wanted. Yeah, but. Kind of want it to be possible to protect people from themselves in this sort of thing. You know, mm. it's like it's like base jumping. It's like <laughs> yeah. you know the free, squirrel suits. free climbing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna do this. It's gonna be awesome. Right, yeah. right up until the time that it doesn't work. Right. Um, and you're you're leaving a trail of tears. I mean, there are people yeah. who who know and love you, and also he would be upset about the fact that uh, I believe two grizzlies were killed That's right, by park rangers because yeah. uh, they found two in the area and they, they murdered both of them they didn't and know which one was to yeah. dig up who was inside and he's also doing they, they talk about this in the film uh, he's probably doing more harm than good by acclimatizing these grizzlies to humans and making them think they're okay he's opening them up to, to more danger yeah it's a it's a really complex series of consequences mm-hmm. that he clearly doesn't understand. Yeah. And the fact that he is documenting all of it so enthusiastically, because um, this is, you know, pre-YouTube, pre, pre-ascendancy of YouTube anyway, mm-hmm. I'm sure it was there, but it wasn't what it is now. Yeah. And he didn't seem to know he wanted to be a reality star. He just did it. Yeah. <laughs> but he's performing. Like, there's a level of performance to the camera that's going on constantly, which is... Uh, you know, is he doing it for anyone? Is he doing it for himself or is he doing it for the animals? Is he making fun noises so they won't be scared of him? Mm-hmm. Or does he just not have... Like, that's the thing that I wrestled with for the entire movie and that Herzog does too, clearly. Is he right? Yeah. Not to be doing this, but right at all. Is any of this stuff what he wants it to be? Are we seeing the articulation of somebody's philosophy or are we watching an insane person just go get himself killed? Yeah, I uh, I think it's interesting to note that he was trying to be an actor before he started mm-hmm. doing all of this. And, and there's that story of him getting close to uh, the the role of Woody on Cheers. Um, sure. And if that's true or not, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I remember his parents in the film said that. And so you think, okay, well, he did want to be an actor. He did want to be out there performing in front of people. And uh, even uh, one of his previous jobs, which one of one of the uh, the people interviewed in the film mentioned he was at like a medieval times kind of thing but it was like Gulliver's Travels so again that's that's a performance as well and he would go on Letterman and, and take this thing around to schools and you know interestingly enough not accept any fee for his uh, uh, talks that he would give to students but yeah he was definitely there was something about himself that I think was uh, that, that he was pushing out there he was definitely trying to push himself out there even stylizing himself as this hero of, of the wilderness yeah there's some real damaged ego at, at work there. Yeah. Is he an extrovert or is he a compulsive? Like, it's really hard to tell where he's coming from. And I find that just amazingly fascinating because mm-hmm. this is his footage. Like, we are seeing yeah. literally only what he wants us to see. Mm-hmm. And it's still unreadable. I mean, it. it's just, it's the, like, it's just ego and id all running together and, and Totally, again, I get why Herzog wants to make this movie, but I also get the sense that more than most of his other films, he's really puzzling it out with us. Mm -hmm. We're sort of 
riding along through the process. It's the kind of thing that Nick Broomfield does, although he usually does yeah. a more comic effect, um, where it's just like, this is the thing that I was handed, and what the hell is it? What does it mean? Right. I think that's what makes it such a successful documentary and such a successful character portrait, um, is that many documentaries, you, you, they, they present the character in it, and you can probably summarize a description you know they it's not that it's two-dimensional but it's it can be kind of a simplistic view of of people and leaving this documentary like you said just trying to understand him i think is is uh is what's so interesting about it because he's such a we're all such complicated people and and uh and i don't know if there really is any way to to sum us all up except in being portrayed like that, just being portrayed with all our complexities, and and it's just, it's just left for us. You know, there's there's commentary from Herzog, from the people who knew him, from him himself, and I think that's as close as we could ever get to the heart of a of a human being. Yeah, who just also is completely tragically unaware of where he's heading. That's mm-hmm. I think that's the thing too. Like our foreknowledge changes everything about that. Do you think he was unaware? Because he, he keeps saying, I'm, I might die, I hope to survive, I hope to make it through the summer. And, and other uh, people said that he was always saying, if I don't come back, this is what I want. You know, yeah. I think he was aware that it was going to happen. And I wonder if it was... You uh, think he really believes it, though? It felt to me like sort of a romantic adventure kind of thing. Like he was yeah. definitely inflating his potential for harm. Although I guess he wasn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> because he got harmed yeah. uh, big time. Uh, there's certainly doubt as to whether or not he, he believes it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. not too sure. And if it was a suicide mission, which uh, that's, that's unfair. I mean, it wasn't, he clearly didn't start out to die. He, yeah. But he, if he's romanticizing the possibility of his own death, then bringing someone else along does seem like, it seems like it wouldn't be part of that plan. That's a good point. Yeah. Although maybe she was there to just bear witness and come home and it went too far. Right. Yeah, you're right. Perhaps on camera, he's like, it's dangerous, I might die. And then to her, saying, no, it'll be okay. Yeah. I just get the sense that so much of what we're seeing is performance, and it's designed to, I mean, it's designed to inflate, it's designed to make him look more noble, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And And then further, we're getting the edited version from Herzog, who is showing us only what he wants us to see to build his thesis which is ambiguous which is even better because (laughs) if there is something definitive it's not there it's it's withheld yeah just like the the screams are the tape the final bit yeah kept from us yeah i did the uh have you heard of the rogue film school Werner herzog does the the yeah yeah i got to go to that uh, a couple years ago okay and uh he did talk about uh, Grizzly Man a little bit uh, curiously enough he just one of the only things he talked about was that tape and uh, he just described what he was listening to and it just oh, it sounds horrible yeah. what happened to him if you've ever seen a grizzly eat a salmon pulls the salmon out holds it down and then just picks it apart while it's alive Yeah. and I mean we can only assume that's exactly what was happening to Timothy Treadwell um, but he said he was very uh angry with himself for telling the owner of the tape to destroy it. Really? Yeah. Um, he, he said, uh, he says that's bothered him and haunted him <laughs> all these years. Oh. Um, and at, at first I was, I was like, well, that seems like it. Who cares? Um, yeah, it's such a 
purely emotional response. It feels, I mean, obviously that's why he kept the scene yeah. in the film where he says that. You must destroy, you must never show this to another man. Please <laughs> be a white elephant, being. which is the wrong phrase to use. But, yeah. uh, but it's so fascinating to see his revulsion. Yeah. And that impulse to, you know, like no one else should ever have to hear this. Yeah. But so now he's against the decision. Yeah, he he thinks uh, he's like you know it's it's not for me to say what she shouldn't shouldn't do with the tape and that that makes sense but the fact that it's haunted him uh, these years to use his words yeah. uh, I find is uh, kind of a kind of an interesting thought yeah uh, but yeah to I of course it would be so gruesome to have actually played it and and somewhat uh, you know like a spectacle or, or a shock yeah. value but it's so much more powerful to see him from that shot kind of behind his shoulder to see him listening to it and to watch Jewel Palavac watching him listen to the tape was just heartbreaking extremely powerful to see the anticipation on her face watching you know every micro reaction that that Herzog is doing and then they have the coroner uh, describing what was found and what probably yeah. happened in those last moments because the coroner had listened to the tape as well and uh, I think it's just it's so much more powerful uh, that way than just throwing the the tape out there and letting us all hear it. Yeah, and of course the the viewer and listener gets to add his or her own specific nervousness or fear about an mm. animal attack. I um, I was talking to Adam McDonald, the director of Backcountry, mm. uh, last last year, I guess, about the depiction of animal violence and how they faked it and how just he said that the re- in the research they just found that it's so bloody that there's so much just sheer viscera involved when a, when a bear attacks a human mm-hmm. that to depict it properly you're basically showing people meat like it becomes incomprehensible after right. like two seconds yeah just your brain the viewer they were building all these effects and prosthetics for the characters that get mauled in the film and he looked at every reference point he could find and it's just like you can't understand it right you can't understand the violence right because it's so much power in these claws that just go through you right. there's no resistance the human body just comes apart just in mere seconds it doesn't look like a human anymore. yeah it's just and and knowing that and watching grizzly man again it's just like Ugh, it's oh, unnerving but it's also not quick that's exactly. the problem. That's why the tape is so long, and that's why it is such a horrible thing that the film is heading towards. Yeah. And once you know that, and you know the repeat viewings just get more unsettling because mm-hmm. of just how awful it is. Yeah. And do you? What do you think about the decision to right off the bat they show Timothy Treadwell and then they show the dates of, of him being alive? What, what do you think of that? Do you think, think that's the right way? Yeah. The right I think way to you do it. The portent. I think you you need to. I, I always have a problem I have a conceptual problem with documentaries that try to hide facts mm. so like a searching for sugar man kind of thing yeah that's yeah. that's a good example there's another one where somebody made a film about uh, oh in fact Matt Sadowski had he was on the show mm. uh, Matt Sadowski made a documentary called don't you forget about me about John Hughes and the framing devices and he and a bunch of his friends, his crew, went to. Oh, try, they went to go find him. Yeah, I heard about they that. dropped a script off at his. A pro, they dropped a, a proposal off at his house in Chicago, mm. and you know, the movie builds some suspense out of whether or not they got to meet him. And it's like, well, obviously they didn't. There's just <laughs> yeah. there's you don't hide something like that. If yeah. you get John Hughes, your movie is very different. Right. So that's kind of dicey. Uh, although it's a a reasonable way to build suspense, mm. but. Uh, with a with a documentary where the facts are 
so established. I mean, clearly the only reason we're making a movie about this guy is because it didn't end well. Right. Then I think you kind of have to play fair. And it just coats the movie in dread. Yeah. It lets you know that you're going to end up in a bad place. Mm-hmm. And isn't it so curious that, uh, I mean, you said it and I agree that I'm... I'm like, oh, I hope he doesn't die. There's that, there's that part in your brain that's, oh, yeah. that's wishing it not to happen, though I've seen it maybe six times now. Even I watched it last night, and I felt, I felt the same way. I was, I was wondering for... I found myself wondering in certain moments. I'm like, is he going to make it? Is this actually going to happen? And, yeah. Well, you uh, hope. I mean, you, want, you can't help but root for survival. Yeah. Um, even if it's just, just not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Dreyfus once told me that Jaws is the only film he forgets he's in and that when he <laughs> watches it he has to watch it all the way to the end to make sure Matt Hooper survives <laughs> yeah. like, I get that yeah I get that too yeah. but here you have you know fate is an actor in this film it's hurtling towards him Yeah. and every time and because we know every time we see him in the frame with something with something bigger and meaner than he is mm-hmm. We just have to wonder, is that the one? Like, is that yeah. the, the bear that kills him? And is there going to be something? Because your mind wants to create a narrative. Mm-hmm. And is this the thing that he does that makes the bear angry? Yeah. But that's not anything we can understand because bears aren't people and they don't understand drama or observe the rules of irony. You know, yeah. They're just going to do what they do. Yeah. Like, uh, my favorite quote in the film is... Uh, Herzog says it's when he looks in the bear's eyes, he sees just a half-bored interest in food. Yeah. There's no camaraderie. There's no understanding. There's no nothing. Yeah. He always says that. <laughs> in fairness, he's also looked into the eyes of penguins and chickens and found much <laughs> yeah. the same thing. I just, I, you know, the, someone has yet to do this, but it would be great to have, like, Werner Herzog walks a dog. I see nothing, you know, I see nothing but the contempt for grass because destroying nature, which is good, I like this. But at the same time, he will not fetch on command and I'm disappointed. It's a good impression. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm good at that stuff. I'm a great mimic, apparently. But I met him, I interviewed him for the Bad Lieutenant. Oh, the yeah. Lens junket. He, yeah. Werner Herzog and Nicolas Cage within five minutes of each other <laughs> during TIFF with everybody exhausted and tired. Yeah. Was one of the best afternoons of my life. That's just, amazing. They were so much fun. Cage was totally open and Herzog was alternately incredibly serious about re, uh, what was it? reinterpreting the mythologies of the bad lieutenant through my Bavarian perspective. <laughs> and like, okay, but you also made a movie where Nicolas Cage just goes, Sup! for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. um, and also very silly and, and kind of loose and knowing that he is perceived as this cultural figure. Yeah. He's delightful. How, so what is he like as an instructor? He is, uh, just seems incredibly wise. I'm, uh, I've always prided myself on not being susceptible to like a cult or something like that. Right. But I think if Herzog was a cult leader and he pointed at me and said, you're in my cult, I would probably do it. Yeah, I can see that. He, he makes some valid seem, points. Yeah, he just seems like he... He knows what's up. I don't know. He has really, really deep insight into things and people. And, and I'm so excited to see his new documentary about uh, the internet and communication oh, and all that. Oh, behold, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I saw it at Hot Docs. It's, um, some of it is really interesting. And there are little observations that I didn't know, mm. uh, which are kind of great. Um, but at the same time, he also has bought into a lot of the kind of net hysteria stuff about mm. you know how the world will collapse if the net goes down for four days because all food distribution in America could stop and it's like well that's 
they they did it before. You know, there right. were systems in place for decades before everybody centralized their warehouses. Amazon isn't the only answer, mm-hmm. and we can probably figure things out. But he, you know, they, there's this whole thing where someone tells him, "We're only you're only three meals away from total collapse, and if the internet goes down for more than three days, the, that's that's nine meals." And like, <laughs> okay, this this is a bit hysterical. Yeah, but he himself seems very curious and and open to anything so I get I get why he would sort of get lured in by some of the worst stories because the worst case scenario I, I suspect is the kind of thing he secretly hopes for yeah um, but it's yeah it's kind of diffuse in its perspective by the end but okay. there, there's some good stuff in it and mm-hmm. he does talk about how absolutely repulsive the, uh, the the rooms where the original internet workers toiled are and how when when the net was created the uh the first message sent was supposed to be login. The two two computers networked over thousands of miles apart mm-hmm. to, into um, two college campuses. One was supposed to type login, and the other person on the other end was going to type login as well to prove to each other that they could they were not just working um, in isolation. Okay, and it went down after LO. So the first word typed on the internet was low. Oh. <laughs> and yeah, it gives him his whole hook about how important, transformative, and also godlike it is. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> you're kind of reaching. That's funny. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's, he's a very fascinating person to listen to. And, and he just talks about... He talks about topics that have nothing to do with filmmaking. We didn't really talk about filmmaking much at all. He talked about... Um, the importance of walking, like mm-hmm. taking a journey on foot. And that's something he's done multiple times in yeah. his life. He walked from Munich to Paris. He walked the entire border of Germany. And uh, he's just like, I, you know, I think of it as you can drive to Niagara Falls and just be like, yeah, there's the falls, whatever. But imagine walking to Niagara Falls. And when you get there and finally see the falls after however many eight hours it, it takes, how much more meaningful and, and exciting it would be. You know, you might break down in tears when you see it. Yeah. Um, that would be something. Mm-hmm. I, I used to, I used to love going to New York City. I went every weekend for the summer two thousand seven because Kate was working on a contract, and I would fly out on weekends too. We almost moved there; it was a whole thing. And inevitably, I'd get there early on a Friday afternoon, and she'd still be at work. So I would just go down to City Hall or Wall Street, the, the very base of the city, and walk north on Broadway mm-hmm. for two or three hours. Yeah. Sometimes I made it all the way up to the the apartment on the Upper West Side, mm. and it's just. It's partially for the the exercise and the experience, and summer in New York is a really stupid time to be walking along. <laughs> but it was just great to see the city, and yeah. you watch the topography change, and you watch the various neighborhoods sort of come into being and come out. I've never attempted anything longer. Yeah, and now I kind of want to. I do too. I uh, I have no idea how to go about it. He said he would just go with very little. He had his lock picking stuff. He had binoculars, and he would just improvise along the way. And and uh, um, just find shelter where, wherever he yeah. could and, and I don't know if you can do that now people have alarms and <laughs> but I see where the cult thing comes from because that's yeah. <laughs> that's the sort of messianic talk that he has some really good ideas about how people should live <laughs> yeah absolutely and then, yeah and then you see the end result which is the films he makes which are these weird questing dramas about people against their environment always 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 against their environment mm-hmm. and that brings us back to Grizzly Man where he didn't actually make the film yeah sort of I mean he used it's his first found footage work I guess he, mm-hmm. he used what was available and then created his own investigation yeah and concludes once again that 
nature is out to get us at every turn and the world is hostile and all humans can do is stay out of its way Mm -hmm. except that they can't because we keep pushing ourselves back in yeah and yeah so oh this is a relevant question what was your first experience of it when did you first see it i first saw it when it came out which uh, i guess yeah about 10 years ago Mm -hmm. And theatrically, uh, theatrically I saw it, yeah. And uh, I was already a, a big Herzog uh, fan at that point. And uh, I, I'm trying to remember what I felt. I know I loved it, and uh, I'm trying to remember how much I got it. I, I know that um, I, he was a compelling character for sure, but at the time, I don't think I identified him with him as much as I do now. And uh, I remember thinking, like, this guy's an idiot to, to go out and do that, to go out into the Alaskan wilderness and live with grizzlies. And now I think I, I get it a little bit more. I have that urge to... Um, th- there's a, a scene in the film where he where the plane leaves and he's all alone. And his girlfriend wasn't with him at that time, I don't think. And he says, watching the plane leaves, and he says, you really just, like it really hits you how alone you are. And part of me was just like, oh, that sounds great. (laughs) And uh, I'm thinking, I've camped alone. I've done a lot of traveling by myself, but I've never been more than a stone's throw away from civilization. And uh, I love winter because I go go snowshoeing and and I go as far as I can, um, you know, that's that's safe. And I look at my phone and it says no service. And there's that... Ooh, that that moment where you're just like, oh God, <laughs> I'm without my safety blanket. And then within minutes, this kind of calm comes over me and I feel great. I just feel great. And I've been, I've been lost, not seriously lost, but been lost for, you know, half an hour in the woods or, um, you know, never, never too far from civilization. But uh, th- there have been times where I'm disoriented and I don't know where I am. And there's a panic that sets in, but it's kind of good. I kind of like it. Yeah. I don't know. Do you identify with that at all? No, like, what, What's the most the... alone you've ever been in your uh, life? Not in the least, no. I am a city guy. I <laughs> like I like outlets and buildings and cell phone <laughs> service. And I, if I don't have a USB charger nearby, I will start to shake and twitch. Really? Yeah. I yeah, like, that's, I that's like, as city as it gets. <laughs> I like the noise. I like the energy. I like the sense that there are unforeseen possibilities yeah around the corner you know there could be a really good cookie or a great restaurant or somebody that you haven't seen in years will be there or a bookstore like okay less so these days but um i love that kind of exploration whereas when i go out to the forest the woods wherever that is the countryside there's just more of it yeah and i get it i'm just yeah i'm not comfortable with it i i used to be like you i always considered myself a city boy i thought i'd live in the city for the rest of my life i still do live in downtown toronto um but at some point i know i'm gonna live in a forest somewhere in the middle of nowhere i just know it other than mosquitoes and other biting bugs i like everything about it and uh it just kind of happened overnight i guess i I went to bc and salt spring island actually where we shot the interior Mm -hmm. and uh i had this moment where we were just Sitting high up, it was uh, uh, in the winter months, in the rainy season, it's a waterfall, but in the summer, it's just dry, so you can just sit there. And I just looked over, we were right at the the tree line, or not the tree line, the, uh, the tops of the trees, and you could just sort of, your eyes just skimmed right across them. And it just went on as far as the eye can see, and 
the silence of it. I hadn't experienced silence like that pretty much my entire life. Mm -hmm. And it just moved me profoundly. Really? Yeah. And then uh, the following year, I went to stay in a log cabin in, in Quebec, just a couple hours north of Montreal in the Laurentian Mountains. And it was my first experience snowshoeing. And uh, for me, I think it has to do with all of the worries and frustrations and uh, all of the, the stress that other people can like bring to your life when you're out in the middle of nowhere. I was just like, I haven't felt frust I haven't felt that city frustration in days. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even really know I was feeling that tension. And as soon as it was gone, I was just like, wow, I'm completely at peace. And I'm in a space that doesn't know about civilization. Uh, these trees, you know, the, the area is, the forest is vast enough that these trees aren't even aware of the city, that Montreal is a couple hours away, right. or that Vancouver is just a, a skip across, uh, you know, the, the ocean there. And, uh, yeah, that, uh, I, I just found it really moving. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you come down on the philosophy of Treadwell, then? I mean, do you see it as workable to go off and live with animals or in proximity or would you kind of want a safer space I'm, I'm assuming I'd, yeah I'd want a safer space the question um, is kind of biased even, <laughs> even the way I phrase it is like ah, I wouldn't want that I could do what he did minus the grizzlies right. I could live in a tent it's for striking. a few months and uh, I would uh, certainly not want to commiserate with, uh, with grizzly bears or anything like that I, I would certainly respect the animal kingdom which obviously he just he just didn't quite respect it. and yeah. Well, there's that scene where the infant, well, I guess it's not an infant, but the, the young, the younger bear comes mm. up and curiously explores him. Yeah. And your heart's in your throat. I know. Because that, that doesn't, and, and that's when I start playing the game about running time. It's like, well, it's too early in the movie now. And yeah. This can't be it. Right. But what if it is? Because this is a really stupid thing to do. Yeah. But I... I have played ball with a brown bear cub. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I helped a friend out on a project in the, what, the the early 90s, I guess. I went out to the Toronto Zoo, and I'd done some on-camera stuff, so he just wanted me to be his host for this, this pitch, this show pitch about uh, kind of fun jobs that could then be sold to high schools and colleges to show people like, the possibilities of, around them. Uh, God, I hope this never gets out. This footage never comes out because it looks awful. But we went to the Toronto Zoo and we, I interviewed the, the head, I guess the zoologist in charge. Mm -hmm. She was the, the, the master veterinarian, basically, for the zoo. And we wandered around the zoo and we photographed. Like We shot footage. There's me wandering around with some peacocks, which were just oh, yeah. loose near the parking lot in the, 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 the office parking. Uh, we, I had my hand in a baby giraffe's mouth. Oh, wow. <laughs> sort of cool, like a six-month-old giraffe. Oh, yeah. Taller than me already. Wow. But you just reach up and pet it, and the tongue comes out and pulled it in because it treats your hand like a branch. And yeah. they don't have teeth, just gums. So I got gummed by this giraffe that was trying to get the leaves off, potentially off my hand. Yeah. And then there was a baby bear in quarantine. They couldn't... He was like eight or nine months old, and they couldn't let him out yet. He just arrived from... Probably from Alaska. And he was just sitting there with a ball because mm. he could play with his ball. And he... Behind... I don't know. He was 10 or 15 feet away behind some serious fencing. 
but there was enough room to get the, your hand in and roll the ball to him because oh, that's yeah. what you like. So the, he rolls the ball to me, I roll the ball back. <laughs> and your instinct is to stuff your hand in and pet the bear because yeah. he's an animal and he's adorable looking. Yeah. And then you think, wait, John Irving wrote a whole book about this. I can't. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to touch the bear. But you want to. Yeah. Like, there's some part of me, and I'm, I have pets. I'm an animal person. I've, mm. I've also met a baby tiger, a uh, Siberian tiger, at, a, at an event for an event screening for the movie Two Brothers. Okay. Uh, about the two tiger cubs. Sure. And they brought a real tiger to a screening of, <laughs> I think it was the Big Brothers Club or something, to promote the home video release. And they invited us down. And there's pictures of me and Kate playing with this tiger cub. Playing is pushing it. Uh, but petting her. And petting this, just this adorable killing machine. Yeah. Uh, but the, that they say, like, they give you the drill. They say, don't, don't look at it. Don't come at its face. He's going to have a... We're going to give him his chicken carcass, and you can pet his back while he's... You can stroke the, his haunches. You can touch his tail. Just don't touch the chicken. Don't look at the chicken. Don't make <laughs> any moves like you're going to steal his food. Right. And I said, of course. Yeah, absolutely. What are we, idiots? Sure. And we mm-hmm. didn't do any of that. But then the tiger comes right up to you, and you want to give your hand to sniff. And yeah. that's how you lose fingers. All right. But the instinct, the impulse is so clearly... I want to pet the kitty. I want to touch the bear. Yeah. And when you see the bear come up to Treadwell, the baby, the infant, the adolescent, the the impulse, I get that. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that. And in that moment, I kind of want to do what he's doing. Yeah. But I know how it ends. Yeah. Yeah, they are our cousins, you know. We're all mammals. Yeah. And, and so I, I think hungry, that... Hungry, hungry cousins. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's yeah, that's often you know why I'm an animal person too. That's why we're animal people because we we look at them and we perhaps recognize something, and uh, you know they're cute. We're you know why why are they cute to us? I don't know. We're they're cute to us because probably because we share some kind of kinship with them. Um, yeah. Uh, well, you look into the eyes of an animal, and for the most part, they look back. Like yeah. there's not necessarily. A profound evil or, or goodness or the, mm-hmm. the emptiness of the chicken <laughs> yeah. you see you see what you want to see I guess which is yeah. just a soul yeah. or personality but if they are not coming at your face they're kind of cute yeah <laughs> and, and I, like I get it and that's that's what I think what's so fantastic about the movie is that Herzog for all of his loathing of nature uh, and I never know at this point how much of that is really in his movies and how much of it is Paul F. Tompkins' impression of him, which is just the most amazing, sustained character bit. He's, <laughs> he's done it on Comedy Bang Bang and Doug Loves Movies and all of these other things. His performance as Herzog is incredible. Mm. He's just the man who hates nature so much. That he, you know, I enjoy to drive because that means I'm killing the air. Uh, I think that's a direct that's a direct Tompkins line. But Herzog manages to show you that impulse the yeah. need to connect that Treadwell clearly had mm. even though it was either suicidal or just misguided yeah yeah just just I don't even know what the word is if not insane because he wasn't he wasn't crazy like he's not he seems yeah. to know what he's doing he just doesn't know crazy. what he's doing right yeah I think he's just a, a really just a very damaged person and he mentions that his problems with drinking and how he tried AA, he tried to quit himself, all these things, and nothing worked. And he said it was going to kill him or he was going to stop. And I think he just found this bizarre way to, to make him stop. I think whatever it was about the bears, that's something I, I would have loved to know from the movie. Why this? 
Why not the gorillas? Why not alligators? Why not no animals? Why not just nature? You know, why um, there are people who live in isolation in Alaska. Why not just just that? Yeah. It seems weird that it's a grizzly grizzly bear. Um, yeah. It is that, that weird compulsive personality. And mm-hmm. I kind of understand that, too. Like, you're just... You're diving into another thing to stop the thing you're already yeah. too deep into. Mm-hmm. But this one, I mean, drinking probably wouldn't have killed him as quickly. Yeah. That's what's so strange about it, that mm-hmm. there is that weird, it's just a lack of self-knowledge, I think. That mm-hmm. weird blankness, that dimension that's missing from his expedition. And also draws in Amy Huguenar, who mm-hmm. is sort of the... Uh, worst casualty of all of this, even more so than the bears that were killed as a result of of Treadwell's death, is that she is someone who, if she was with him, almost certainly didn't know what she was getting into, because his confidence would have swayed her, I think. Yeah, it's kind of understandable, but kind of a shame that her parents, or nobody she knew, wanted to participate in the documentary, because it would have been interesting to have that insight. Yeah, we really possessed her to do this. We don't know her beyond the voice that we hear occasionally and sometimes a flash of her because for the most part she's holding his camera. Yeah, yeah, and Herzog says she's just more or less absent from all of his footage, um, but that we know she was afraid of the bears and she kept her distance. Uh, so that right there indicates, you know, what, what the dynamic was between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, have you seen or read uh, Into the Wild? Yeah, both. The Krakauer book and the, and the yeah. Sean Penn film. I'm not a, a big fan of the movie, but the book I just absolutely loved. And um, that was the first time I think I, I started to think about isolation. Because uh, if you remember, there's a chapter in the book where Krakauer talks about his own uh, mountain climbing experience when he was alone in yeah. Alaska. And he says, you just reach the highest highs and the lowest lows. And um, having traveled alone, I can kind of identify with that as well. You, uh, I usually, if I, if I, you know, go off to Europe by myself or something like that, I'm, uh, I go through a few days of just this inexplicable depression, and then I just reach this these huge heights, and. Um, so it's that sort of crucible factor where you're just putting yourself through something in order to get to yeah. the other side of it because that's where the reward is? Yeah, and it's not really a, a conscious thing. It just kind of seems to happen. And uh, I think that's a big part of the documentary, too. And I think that's something Herzog, uh, if I could guess, identifies with as well. He mentioned that uh, he thinks everyone should go to the jungle um, mm-hmm. once a year, just for a week. Just put yourself into the jungle. And he said the whole world would change if, if everybody could do that. I have a feeling he's just trying to thin out the herd a little bit. <laughs> Possibly. You know, all of you can go. I'll be here. <laughs> Come back if you can. Uh, but yeah, it's an interesting philosophy. I definitely know that it, my life would be very different if I had to confront any of the stuff that lies beyond you know, the city that I like. Yeah. Um, but also, I suspect again that you know, Herzog has the has the advantage of knowing what happens to Treadwell and being able to shape that narrative in a way that shows us what not preparing and not understanding the situation will get you. Mm-hmm. Um, which is again, you know, like he's shaping a cautionary tale because that's how he sees the world. But it's hard to argue against it because this is what happened. Yeah, and it yeah. happened badly. 
Mm. I keep coming back to that because I think I am basically afraid of being killed by a bear. Are you? <laughs> uh, which is, again, another reason I don't go to the forest. Like yeah. it, I mean, here we have raccoons and skunks and squirrels, and they're probably not going to get me. <laughs> yeah. Probably not going to gang up on us. Not, yeah. with, not with the pizza place around the corner. <laughs> I'm a soft target. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, even Treadwell, the, the ironic thing about it is Treadwell could only do that because of civilization you know right, he needed yes. someone to fly him in there he needs those barrels of food he needs like bear proof barrels he needs a tent he needs equipment he's got a radio and interestingly enough it's so bizarre to see him out there holding a camera in his hand he has multiple cameras and he's got this very like for the time kind of futuristic uh cam with him and uh Part of me was thinking, I'm like, you know, you're kind of kidding yourself if you're, you know, you're so hostile to civilization and you want to get away from everything. It's like, well, you know, not really. You're taking it with you. Yeah. And um, that's something, you know, I, I always think about when I'm out there, too. And, and uh, I'm just like, wow, I'm uh, uh, I benefit, you know, if I get injured, I know that somebody can rescue me and, and stuff like that. So it's kind of, you're kind of faking it as well. Yeah. You're not really the wild frontiers man that, uh, that you think you are yeah. if you're doing that. Is it even possible to be that now? Well, I, I saw like a, I think it was like a Vice documentary or something like that on uh, these people who live in uh, the middle of nowhere, Alaska. Okay. And, uh, but no, even in that case, they're pretty self-sufficient, but the guy's a fur trapper and he goes and trades furs for food. So he's still, he's still using civilization just in, in about as limited a way as, as possible. Yeah, I mean, short of naked and afraid. Yeah. And even then, there's a camera crew three feet away. Yeah. If something happens, you're likely going to be okay. It happened on Survivor all the time, apparently. People would have medical crises or things that we just don't see, or mm. people from, like would have to leave because their families got sick or they had to deal with something at home. Yeah. And there's always a, yeah, there's always an escape hatch. To really go out on your own almost guarantees that you don't come back. Yeah. Yeah, unless you're, you're living in a tree in the jungle somewhere and, and foraging all of your food and hunting. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, you're you're benefiting from the world of people. Yeah, and where you charge? I mean, I assume you had a generator to charge the batteries for the camera, if nothing else, right? Those are hours and hours of footage. Yeah, yeah. I uh, yeah, and he was out there for months and months, so it's not like he could have barrel full of batteries with him. Yeah. Um, Blair Witch question all. The time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but this does bring us to the the practicality of of shooting in the wilderness, essentially, yeah. and that that brings us to the interior and your work. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the closing question on the podcast is always the same as well, which is what of this film has infiltrated your filmmaking or your DNA or your your artistic perspective? How have you absorbed Grizzly Man? Mm-hmm. It certainly wasn't conscious when I was making the interior, and and people would ask me what. You know what? What films inspired you? And I just kind of shrug and draw a blank. But in hindsight, I think probably Grizzly Man more than anything. Maybe a little Blair Witch in there too. But uh, it was—I uh, mean, the character of James in the interior—he's got a, a different hostility towards civilization. His is more—he's just lost and uh, uh, confused and um, kind of narcissistic and. Um, but I think the impulse to go out into the middle of nowhere is similar to uh, Timothy Treadwell's impulse as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, the character, you know, I, of course, I'm, I wrote it, so I identify with that as well. And 
you know, the the older I get, the more nature appeals to me, and and the more getting out into the middle of nowhere appeals to me, and uh, the more I do it, the more I'm aware of how alien I am in that environment, um, and uh, not only that, but uh, the simplicity of of Grizzly Man appeals to me, and then same with all of Herzog's uh, films. Uh, that was something he talked about too in the in the Rogue Film School. Was he just likes things simple? So he has very complicated characters, very complicated movies, but they're presented very simply. Um, the titles in Grizzly Man—it's just like a Times New Roman font that pops. It's just the ugliest yeah. title, and and his films are almost always like that. Um, so that simplicity too uh, really appeals to me. You know, favoring wide shots. Um, Kind of an unadorned cinema? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I don't really know why. I don't really know why that that appeals to me. But um, I I think it always has. Um, Yeah, Grizzly Man, I I also love the lack of tying everything up and explaining everything. He just presents complexities, comments on them here and there, and then then just gives it to you. And uh, that's as well what I tried to do with the interior, yeah. uh, which f- of course frustrates some viewers. Um, but uh, it was it was certainly certainly deliberate, yeah. and uh, definitely uh, you know Herzog and Grizzly Man, and uh, it, one of my other favorite movies is Little Dieter Needs to Fly. Okay, um, and uh, that one too has has some parallels. You know, it's a guy lost in the jungle, and uh, he says that that was the the fun point in his life. Right. <laughs> Uh, that was something Douglas Adams told me once. Um, like this one of those things that I should be dining out on forever. It's like I got to have lunch with Douglas Adams, who's oh, wow. one of the most important people in my life. I think mm. philosophically, he came through on the book tour for Mostly Harmless, and I got to interview him. And he said, "Like adventures are the things you don't know you're having. Yeah, it isn't until it's over that you can." appreciate it yeah. and realize what you went through but when it's happening you're just you don't have time mm-hmm. just trying to either get to where you're going or stay alive long enough to figure out where you're going yeah it's not so true I've uh, I, it reminded me of a road trip I took with a friend and it was the most every day was the most frustrating day of my life this person was just a very frustrating person <laughs> to be on a road trip with right. and it was just one calamity after another and uh now I look back on it with such fondness, and I have so many stories to tell from it. And it's, uh, yeah, it was just one of the best road trips of my life. Yeah. But I hated it at the time. <laughs> I guess if Treadwell had survived, you'd probably, I mean, he would have packaged it, he would have sold it somewhere. It would have been just this little story about a man living among the bears. I don't even yeah. know how much of a, an, a narrative arc it would have had. He really doesn't seem to be constructing anything while he's there in the footage. Yeah, I would wonder that too. What's he doing with it and all these takes that he's doing over and over again? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And if he were still alive now, he might not be able to do it because of the internet. People could go find him. People would go look for him. If he became more fit, right. more famous than he was, it might not have worked for him for much longer. It would be like a geocaching game. Totally. Find yeah. Treadwell. <laughs> Or you could turn it, I mean, you could also turn that into, well, no, I was going to say, if you're clever, you could turn it into a participatory thing and have people bring you food and extra batteries and more tape, but then they'll get killed. Yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll be even less prepared than you are. Yeah. And so. the, the park services might have cracked down on him finally yeah. because they're like, well, we can't have copycats. We can't have other people doing this yeah. as well. Fortunately, the ending of the story kind of gives 
you know, that puts that puts a pin in that. Don't go do this. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a perfect object lesson. Don't do this. Yeah. But uh, wow, what a horrible way to learn that lesson. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. My thanks to Trevor Juris, whose new film The Interior is now available on iTunes, Google Play, Vudu, Vimeo on Demand, and Amazon Video, depending on your location, and on DVD and Blu-ray through theinteriorfilm.com. You can find Trevor on Twitter at Trevor Juris, all one word. You can find Grizzly Man on DVD from Maple Pictures in Canada and Lionsgate in the U.S., and on iTunes and Google Play. There's no Blu-ray in North America, but there was an all-region disc released in the U.K. a few years back, with most of the same supplements and a slightly better transfer. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. This week's call sign is... The Emptiness of the Chicken's Gaze. Thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.